0: Thank you so much for coming. Um, I'm going to try and make my voice carry to Sarah and Ryan in the back. If there are extra chairs that we can pull out for everyone to sit, that would be great. Um, But anyway, I wanted to introduce myself first. My name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm executive director, very lofty title, for uh, an organization called California Groundbreakers that is officially six months old today. <laughs> thank you um we got started uh with an event on the art scene actually about the art hotel which happened about a, a year ago next door that ruse was a very big supporter of and it was a, kind of a crowd like this like 200 people showed up and i wasn't expecting it but we had a great talk about the art scene in Sac and what was going on and so basically this is kind of a similar thing there is something that's Happening um, will be happening even more of, and Sacramento seems to be an epicenter for a lot of that activity. And so, the mission statement, I guess, if you if if I have to have one for California Groundbreakers, is basically to profile cool people who are doing very cool, innovative things in Sacramento or California, pretty much and have them come to places around here that are very cool and and innovative like Ruth Stoller, like the barn in West Sac where we had a couple of events and talk about what they're doing and also to have the audience ask them questions, get informed, get involved in some ways like being a volunteer for an organization or a cause that needs um, help or uh, be a business partner to a startup that's getting off the ground um, or to donate or in some way help. But basically, the goal is to be a more informed citizen, taxpayer, resident of California. So a little bit about me, just quickly. I grew up here and I left at age 18 Vowing never to come back, I thought, this is such a cow town; Nothing will ever happen. I am out of here. And I moved back (laughs) two years ago. Um, I went to New York. I went to San Francisco. And long story short, I came back because I think, like many people, I saw a lot of new innovative stuff happening here that had really changed Sacramento, but also a lot of things that stayed the same. And it's a really good mix. And one thing that I did when I was in San Francisco was I volunteered at an organization called the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, which did events like this pretty much every night of the week and they had panels on you know tech on the arts on the economy on on foreign affairs every president since Teddy Roosevelt came there to talk and they always got a good crowd they always had mingling afterwards wine cheese beer whatever really good and I when I came back here I thought, why doesn't Sacramento have something like that? We're the capital of what, the sixth, seventh, eighth largest economy in the world, and there's a lot going on. So I figured, let me try and see. And again, that art event um, last June kind of cemented the fact that you're interested in things like this and you'll come out. We just have to work on getting you the beer faster. So so we had three types of events. <clears throat> this is officially a policy in a pint event where we're talking about kind of a hardcore policy thing, I mean, Proposition 64, which if I remember correctly is what, 60 pages or so? Kind of um, heavy duty stuff, but it's going to affect all of us in some way or another. So Bruce Staller has been very generous in providing a place. You have a pint, you listen to experts who know, explain what's going to happen, and then you ask them questions at the mic, which is right here in front of me. And we also have pop-up panels, which is kind of like touching on policy, but also touching on any kind of event and the venue um, hold on just a second. Brandon from Rustaler wants to tell me something. Out there. We oh. up. Caleb, we need to turn this up a little bit. Right. Uh, <laughs> yo, yo, yo. <laughs> I'm a I'm a soft speaker though. I'm sure the panelists can turn it up. <laughs> um, and then we also have groundbreakers Q&A, which is basically a Q&A with someone who he or she can draw a crowd by. Him or herself. Not saying that you guys can't by yourself, but I'm saying like you know, like my goal is to have a beers with Jerry Brown by the end of the year. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So speaking of quickly upcoming events that we have planned for the next um, couple months, the besides this one, the next one coming up is on January 23rd. It's I'm partnering up with Comstocks Magazine, and we're taking a look at innovation in Sacramento. And you may remember that our former mayor Kevin Johnson did a. Innovation and growth fund, you know, let's get innovation in Sacramento and he looked at, you know, a lot of technology focused ventures. So we're taking a look at that. And ironically, yesterday, I believe, Mayor Steinberg took some of that money from the innovation fund to look at, you know, arts and innovation in SAC. So that's going to be part of it. And we're going to hold that at the Clara auditorium, the E. Claire Rayleigh performing uh, studios for the performing arts if you know them they renovated that school last year and did a uh, kick-ass job they have a great auditorium it's on 24th between N and O we're gonna have that there also there I can kind of unofficially announce the next day on January 24th we're gonna have a another policy and a pint event on Trump California and a Trump administration and what that means um, I know <laughs> it's gonna be good it's gonna be good but we're taking a look at how much California will collaborate with the feds, how much it will confront. And also, really, this is important because I don't know about you guys, but my Facebook feed really blew up with people like, I want to do something. You know, I want to do something more than call my congressman. So we're going to get people who can talk about efforts that they're doing and what you all can do to citizens (laughs) if you want to fight for your rights, defend rights, do something, be proactive. So that's January 24th. Um, at Clara, and I'll put more details as with all the events on our website, CaliforniaGroundbreakers.org. And then this is the last one I wanted to mention. It's kind of a big one. It's going to be a four-part series on our crazy housing market. Um, I just bought a house, and I needed help from my parents. And I just want to say, holy sh! It was crazy, crazy. Nine nine offers and 40,000 over asking price and it's just like damn so I there's a lot of going on like for example in the budget Jerry Brown said he wants to do more housing the whole thing about affordable housing so we're starting that on January 31st we're going to have another one on actually affordable housing and what that means and how that could be done in February another one on gentrification and what that means for better or for worse and then finally One on the acronym that I guess all land developers hate the most, CEQA, which is California Environmental Quality Act. So that's a four part series. That first one is starting on the 31st. So I just wanted to say um, my special thanks to people uh, who helped this come together. Uh, J.E. Paino, who owns Roostaller, for donating the space. Uh, Brandon, our manager, for setting things up. Zoe, um, also for um, marketing the event. And of course, our two um, beer tap people, Sarah and Ryan, who are working as fast as they can. Caleb Clark is doing an audio. Um, my advisory board members who are here in the audience, Tiffany Sharp, Scott Egger, Nicole Grant, Jennifer Rindall Rachel Smith, um, Colin Suarez. I'm sorry if I'm botching your name, Colin. And others. I want to thank um, Dave. Kempa from Sacramento News and Review for finding this online and making free advertising. And I see there's a few other people from publications out there, so thanks for coming. Last but not least, I want to thank the panelists for taking the time. I know you don't know who I am, but thanks for taking a chance. (laughs) And finally, to the audience for coming, for being patient. And so now we're finally going to get started half an hour uh, behind schedule. So, but um, I'm not going to do the intros, I always think it's best for the people who are the panelists to do the intros. So I want to start on my left, and I want to have each person um, besides, we have five of our panelists here. A uh, Sixth one, Andrea, is coming from Oakland, got stuck in traffic, so she's gonna join us once she gets here. But I'm gonna start with Hezekiah, who's going to tell us, as all of you, um, your name, obviously, organization, what you do, and kind of a, I always like to ask a personal question, how did you get involved in the cannabis trade and i have a different spin on that for our elected official but (laughs) (laughs) basically yeah how did you know was it just like a straight path or kind of like wow i never thought i would be in this business and just briefly
1: awesome um my name is hezekiah allen executive director of the california growers association thank you so much for having us Ruth dollar thank you so much for hosting Um, California Growers Association, membership organization, statewide advocacy group representing growers. Um, I was born in the cannabis industry. I'm a third generation cannabis farmer. I gave up my ranch in 2012 to come here and work on policy because I felt like we needed to represent ourselves. Um, And I'll just say, if you ever told me that I'd be sitting in an unfinished basement that looks a little bit more like an indoor grow warehouse with the director or the chief of the bureau Never would have bought it. But here we are, and so thank you for pulling this together. Appreciate it tremendously. Look forward to talking with you all.
2: Hi, my name is Gabriel Garcia. Um, I am the co-leader of the Cannabis Practice Group at the Sacramento-based law firm of Chronic Moskowitz, Tiedemann, and Gerard. We go by the Chronic law firm. It's a total coincidence. It's a 65-year-old firm, but we hope it's built-in branding that helps you remember our name. Um, The other co-leader is in the audience, Hans Peter Walter. He and I got into this in a very circuitous way by having um, a a client or prospective client come to us and say, can you help us with corporate structuring and regulatory advice to get compliant and up to speed with the new uh, state statutes and forthcoming regulations? And we were very interested in doing so but had several months of you know, due diligence and convincing our board that this was the right thing to do. Um, and then once we got that approval, we went very public with it because we wanna be on the side of this industry and helping it become compliant and regulated like every other legitimate business out there.
0: Uh, so we have, I don't know, can you hear me? Caleb, am, I'm on the mic without a switch. Am I coming in okay? Yeah. Okay good. I just wanted to give a spin for the council because I know you're not in the cannabis business but I guess my personal question after I, you I could answer you. it
3: that way too. Okay. okay. If you want. But you. I
0: was going to say you know why you know why are you here what made you think or see that you're like I want to address this. So.
3: Well, I'm here because you asked me. So that's that's the easy one. And, and I want to thank you for coming back to Sacramento. I do think we are a very cool place and Thank you for calling us cool. Nobody's called me cool in a really long time, you're so I appreciate cool. that as And you're
0: well. my city councilman, so I have to flatter right. you now. I just moved into your district.
3: There you go. Um, so my name is Jay Chenier. I'm a city councilperson, as, as you told. I represent about 20 neighborhoods uh, in Sacramento. And actually, the way I got involved in this um, was the thing I care about most is how we treat our young people in Sacramento and I was looking around for more money. We spend very little money in Sacramento on our youth about 1% of our general fund, as opposed to about 85% of our general fund on police and fire, and thought that was quite an imbalance. And so what I did was put an initiative on the ballot last June uh, to raise our business operations tax from 4 to 5% with that uh, money going to youth programming. Unfortunately, it's... A- two-thirds vote and we lost by 0.8 percent we had 65 over 65 percent of the vote but not deterred we're continuing to do it and have kind of become the pot guy on the council Um, and so as we move through ordinances and and our own legislation i'm the chair of our law and legislation committee so i played a big role in how we're moving forward in sacramento i'll say on the other side of it i'm also a business person and Uh, i think for the most part a lot of the industry is getting shafted by what we do and i don't think that's correct just to be blunt about it and so as if we're going to do this we need to do it right we need to treat people fair and with respect and so i'm trying to ensure that as well
4: I'm Lori Ajax. I am the bureau chief for the Bureau of Medical Cannabis Regulation. I've been in my position uh, since February of last year, and we are re- sorry, we are responsible for setting up the regulatory structure for both medicinal and recreational cannabis. Um, I feel pretty at home here since I spent 22 years with the alcoholic beverage control, so I'm very used to being in an ABC licensed premises, so it feels... <laughs> It feels uh, comfortable here, so thank you for inviting me. Um, and I think I just sort of fell into this. I think um, I agree. I think we need to do this right, and I wanted to take on a challenge of setting up this system, and hopefully bring some of that experience and knowledge that I have from ABC regulation, and bring it here, and try to and get this thing right. So thank you for having us. me.
5: Hi, my name's, um, sorry, excuse me one second. Hi, my name's um, Nate Bradley. I'm the executive director of the California Cannabis Industry Association. Feeling I'm gonna have to lean back because this is gonna ring a lot. Um, I got into this because I worked in law enforcement for about six and a half years before I was laid off during the budget cuts in 2009. I was, I was, Worked in mainly in northern, in smaller northern uh, northern California towns. And when I was laid off, I actually became a patient. I got off about nine pills a day, and was able to completely save my life. Um, I, my liver healed up, my kidneys healed up. I lost over a hundred pounds. Um, it just, which at the time, what it forced me to do was completely reevaluate my belief system in life. You know, I was the oldest of six homeschooled pastors' kids. And uh, we were raised up that cannabis was morally wrong. It just—it wasn't bad, it wasn't illegal, it was morally wrong. That good, just like Jeff Sessions, good people don't use marijuana. And that's literally the, the, how I was raised. My parents actively campaigned against Prop uh, 215 in 1996. Fast forward um, to when I become a patient, my parents were activists growing up. And so my first instinct was to get involved got involved in activism, became a spokesman for Prop 19, which was the legalization initiative in 2010. After that didn't pass, I realized there was two big things that happened. Number one, the legalization movement was going to be set back you know, years. And for us really to get it done right, we needed to fix the uh, medical marijuana. But we, we needed to create a medical marijuana regulation system in the state that took about five years a lot longer than i actually thought it would but i've learned a lot about the uh, the uh, the the state capital since then and that's actually good <laughs> five years getting it done but we we got it done and then a year later the you know the uh the estate initiative passed so right now um we so right now organization is basically getting prepared for the um, reconciliation process, and we're looking forward to working with a lot of the other people on, on this, on this uh, stage.
0: Thankfully, i um, from Oakland. OK, thank you, Caleb. Uh, I'm just having everyone intro their name, organization, what they're doing, and then how you got into this business. Right. Did you fall into it, or was it a straight
6: path? <laughs> Definitely. Um, my name is Andrea Unsworth, and uh, as Vint has said, I'm here from Oakland. Uh, I'm a California girl, born and raised from Southern California, and moved here uh, about 15 years ago up to the Bay Area. Uh, my former life, pre-cannabis, um, I was in the corporate world, in corporate America, uh, was a bond analyst, actually. And at the time, uh, t- about 2013 or 2012, um, I was covering uh, all the states in the west of the US minus California, so that meant Colorado and Washington. And one of the things that I decided to write about, um, kind of ad hoc outside of just the regular nine to five, but. peaked a lot of interest, surprisingly, was how did marijuana revenues, uh, what did that mean for bond ratings? So if you are issuing something and it is backed by, or a portion of it was marijuana, what did that mean? The Wall Street Journal wanted to know, everyone wanted to know because it had to do with revenue and tax money. Um, And so that was really interesting and that was kind of my crossover, I guess, into blending of my financial background and the cannabis world. Um, And combined with the fact that at that time I felt like I had reached a little bit of a, a ceiling, I guess, um, where I was, and wanted some more opportunity and this seemed like the perfect place for someone who wanted to venture out and be an entrepreneur, for something that I was passionate about but could also uh, bring, you know, other passions that come with it in in terms of the social justice piece and being a part of my community. So I started a delivery service two years ago called Stash Twist. Actually, I guess we're in our third year now. Um, And then as a part of that, I actually uh, co-founded an organization called Supernova Women, which is devoted to the inclusion of uh, women of color in particular into the cannabis industry um, as business owners and I'm here now
0: It's a very a very cool panel and it's a lot of you guys uh, but it was very hard to select because you all have a range. Um, just quickly I I'm sorry we ran out of chairs so thank you guys for standing I it, there's one there. If you want to sit, in front, what um, I'm gonna—I just wanted to let you know—I'm gonna ask about 45 minutes of questions, um, barely scratching the surface, I know. And then after that, it's you guys doing the questions. I should also mention—I should have mentioned this before—this is being recorded for a podcast, being recorded for a podcast, guys. So uh, just keep that in mind when you're talking at the mic. Um, the questions uh, will be on tape and then downloaded, so everyone. Who's not be able to attend can hear. Um, So just quickly, I try to read Prop 64. It was tough. Um, It's a very long one, and there's a lot going on. Um, But I know the questions that basically when we were talking about Prop 64, my friends and I'll say I'm not, I'm not, I don't partake. But we're like, well, when can we use it? Can we go to the park? And can you buy it? You know, I think there's still a lot of confusion about what has taking place, what's going to roll out, um, and, and how so. So I wanted to start with you, Nate, because I know uh, CCIA was a proponent. Just briefly a summary of, as of November 8th, when Prop 64 passed, what happened, what uh, rolled out, what is the time frame for it to go out this year, next year, in a perfect world?
5: And do it in 35 seconds or less? Yes. yes. <laughs> the highlights Um, the highlights um the world changed november 9th we're good (laughs) um no i'm um okay to to give you the the basic breakdown november 9th there are two different things that that basically happened one personal use was was legalized so now even though the amount the most you can have out you with, with you in 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 outside of your house is no more than an ounce. I mean, there's other, there's other issues, but for the most part, you know, no more than an ounce. Because of that, one of the biggest things that changed is, is, in, is in law enforcement. Uh, law enforcement lost the odor trick or the odor tool, which is what they use to claim, I smell weed, I'm getting in your car. You know, um, that was one of the biggest changes, I think, that happened to the industry to affect the industry as a whole right away. I mean, I'm not, not talking about licensing, but that was one of the biggest things. People were people got out of jail, charges were dropped uh, w- w- within weeks. We heard stories from across the state. So, the, so, so, so those are two big things that 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 happened when uh, Prop 64 passed. Um, the basics of it was it allowed for one ounce. You can grow up to six plants in your house. You can um, you can give away to friends for you can give it away to people as long as you don't get money back for it. That happened immediately. What, is, what has to happen now is the rollout of the, the actual retail sales and, or the, per, the production distribution and sales portion of it now has to be written by the state. Most likely it's, been, it's, it's set to be implemented January
7: 2018,
5: which <laughs> they're ready for it. Um, <laughs> We're going to be there to help. And so it's set for, for rollout then. The reality is right now that when, what needs to happen is we just passed the MCRSA in 2015. And so the state right now is actively in what, what they're actively working on in, in the regulatory agencies isn't the Prop 64 rules and regs. It's the MCRSA rules and Which regs. Which
0: stands for?
5: The Medical Cannabis Regulation. Say, okay. Thank you. Safe okay. Regulation and, and and Safety Act. It's gone through a few different versions. Um, I'm just happy it doesn't sound like an, an infection anymore. Um, yeah. So what what's going on now is we're looking at reconciling and so the state's going to have to decide do they want two systems in place do they want one system in place do they want one system in place which is going to make them have to go back to the voters or do they want one system in place which they can run through the state capitol and have have the the governor sign without having to go back to the voters again so those are the decisions that are going to have to be made in the state capitol over the next you know probably eight 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 to nine months there are those, those 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 discussions
0: Okay, oh, and then Chris, quickly, Brandon uh, came in to tell me pizzas are here for whoever wants them in the back. So see the bar or the back. So, um, so again for you, Nate, and then whoever else wants to hop in. I was curious when this when Prop 64 was put together and, and thought of um, looking at Colorado, Oregon, Washington. Was there thought about? Here's what we want to emulate or take from these states. Here's what we don't want to do uh, based on what we see going there. Does, is, was any of that taken into pl- consideration for um, parts that are working or not working in those states that we could use or not use?
5: Yeah. Um, are You're talking about you talking about for Prop 64 or the MCRSA? I guess both. Both well, it's yeah. both is easier. Okay. Um, MCRSA was definitely, they, they did look at other states, what worked in other states and what didn't work in other, other states. Um, the reality is, is that you know, California isn't, well, Colorado, Colorado and Washington, their population combined doesn't make up the county of, of, doesn't make up LA County as a whole. So it's, you know, this is a whole different market. You know, we've got distribution angles. We've got, you know, product that has to move eight hours. It's not just one big town like Denver or 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 in like in, in, in Washington. So there's a lot of other factors involved. I would say the biggest thing we learned from other states is edibles. Um, that issue has been the one of the biggest hot button issues in, in in the legalized states. And so if you look at Prop 64, if you look at the MCRSA they did take a very hard line on edible packaging, dosage, and things like that because of the other issues in other states. So I would say that is one of the biggest areas where we've looked at what, what's gone wrong, what's gone right, and, and tried to learn from those states.
0: Okay, then I, I guess Lori, since you are tasked with this, um, and I saw, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I read that with um, Governor Brown's budget. He had mentioned how he would like to see the two Systems merge together eventually. So I just wanted to get your point of view about where you are right now, and what you what you see. I guess with the three government agencies that are tasked with overseeing, um, is it how is it going? Uh, can you meet this January first, 2018 deadline, or you
4: know, what's or not? We are going to meet the deadline. So I want to make sure we, that comes out right out okay. the OK. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm very determined. So yeah, things changed. Uh, we, we've been working on the medical side of things, because that is what I got. Uh, appointed to do and focus on the medical cannabis regulation and Safety Act obviously from day one though people uh, were asking well what happens if the initiative passes what happens to if the initiative passes honestly it's 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 nice to be able to not have to answer or speculate it did pass the voters have spoken so our our job expanded uh, the day after the election and so uh, we are, are gearing up to, to, to have both systems in place and to Accept licenses uh, on January 1st, 2018. Uh, we are focused, and obviously we, we, we did take a strategic look at things. Um, a lot of the regulations we're developing for medical, are a lot of those things still apply for uh, adult use. Uh, so, you know, things that we're looking at in regulations, there's a lot. There's a, a basic framework in both statutes, but there's a lot that's left to regulations. So things like uh, security protocols or transportation protocols, all of that has to be developed in regulation. Our licensing fees have to be developed in regulations, uh, so a lot of that of the work we did with medical, um, we're we're going to use some of that for the Prop 64. So we, it's an aggressive timeline. That's probably our biggest challenge right now. When people ask me what our challenge is, it's the it's two things. It's the timeline because it's aggressive, and as Nate said, it's the sheer. Uh, a population that, is, it, you know, this is a huge state. When you look at Colorado and Washington, they, they, they're nothing like California. And so, and California is different and unique. So, we have to find a model that works for us. So, you know, with working with everybody here, um, I will say this, this is not about the Bureau getting this done. We have two other licensing authorities, Department of Public Health, who's issuing the licenses for manufacturers and Department of Food and Ag, who's issuing the licenses are for cultivators. But we're also working with Fish and Wildlife and Water Resources, Board of Equalization, Pesticide Regulation. And we're working with everybody on this stage. This doesn't get done just by the Bureau. We we meet those timelines when everybody works together. And so I'm committed. I'll take help wherever I can get it, by the way. That's, That's my message today. So as we go through the California rulemaking process and we notice our regulations, it's important that everybody gets involved. They read our regulations, they, they, they look at them, and then during the public comment period, they comment on our regulations. If you go to our website, bmcr.ca.gov, you can sign up for our listserv, give us your email address, and we'll send you all of our updates. So I really encourage everybody to get involved because we want to hear from you. Good or bad, we want to hear it. Um,
0: And then on the local level, uh, I wanted to ask you, Gabriel, because I know on the law firm's website, you did a take on, uh, on November 8th, all the city, county um, measures that were pertaining to cannabis and what passed and what didn't. So um, overall, how how did that do on election day? And I guess just from the point of view, that sounds like a lot of different laws Uh, And if you're going from one county to the next, it could totally change, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, just, you know, when you're looking at what that means, how will a two-tier, I guess, a two-tier system of, you know, state agency jurisdiction, local jurisdiction work for regulating? Is it going to flow smoothly? Is it going to be a mess? What do you see? What do you hear?
2: Sure. Uh, One of the things that struck us as attorneys on this particular structure for california cannabis is oftentimes sort of federal federal law leads the way and then there's state law and it trickles down to local law Well, we know where federal law stands currently the way that we've got it structured in california actually gives a lot of power to the locals whether we're talking about medical cannabis or recreational cannabis because it all starts there the, the locals in your jurisdiction or in, or in the jurisdiction in California can decide to completely ban commercial activities. I don't want to confuse the issue that no matter where you're located, you've got the personal use right and you can grow to six plants in your house. But we're talking about whether that jurisdiction is going to allow commercial operators within their limits. And if they don't, then you're not gonna set up shop there. You're gonna go somewhere else that's, that's more favorable. So really this is a very ground up locally based law and structure with the two tier system. So what we're seeing is a variety of different cities and counties across the state taking different uh, tax on um, you know a different approach. On how they want to regulate this from a local level. Some municip- municipalities want nothing to do with it and they'll keep their outright bans. Some are interested and they're interested in the tax revenue, but I think are a little overwhelmed with how to roll out cannabis programs and taxation at a local level when it's a crop in an industry that, that they know nothing about. And then, you know, there are other cities. Um, that are clearly at the forefront and really want to be involved and be leaders and show that, hey, look, we can have a very viable cannabis industry and create new revenue streams for, um, for, for our city or our county. How smoothly that will go, I think depends, You it's know, sort of a case-by-case basis. I think th- those that try and reach out to Lori's group and get aligned with what the state is going to be looking at once their state licensure are gonna streamline the process because if my local city has relatively similar or even more stringent you know, permitting process at the local level, it should pass muster at the state level leading to expediency for issuing those permits. So, I mean, the last thing I'll say that what we covered on our website was on election night, not just Prop 64, I think there were 50-plus local initiatives across the state, mostly on local tax revenue, and many of them passed. But what was interesting was some of the clients we've talked to, some of those tax rates are so high that they wouldn't even go into business there because it's not worth it. So the question was... Well, were the voters supporting the cannabis industry by saying, yeah, we want to tax it, or were they actually shooting themselves in the foot by approving a tax that's so high that no cannabis business wants to operate there? So we'll see.
0: So keeping on that local level, uh, I wanted to ask Andrea, who's an Oakland resident now, um, about what's going on in Oakland, because it seems like Oakland uh, is pretty much uh, at the forefront of, you know, since 2004, I think it was the first, if I remember, reading the first in the country to start regulating, uh, to issue licenses for medical dispensaries. And then there was something in the city council passed last spring about issuing licenses, medical licenses for a certain group of people. So if you could explain that and I guess what, what is uh, relevant about what Oakland is doing um, for better or for worse
6: yeah i want and not to get lost in too many of the details but that is is correct nothing has formally passed the two pieces that are up right now 5.80 and 5.81 which address uh non-brick and mortars because brick and mortars already exist in oakland we have eight permitted dispensaries and there will be more etc but we're talking about here is light manufacturing delivery services um and other other smaller um smaller businesses um so what has oakland done right i mean Before Prop 64, you know, Oakland has had a formal policy of treating uh, uh, treating cannabis as, um, as as something that is not uh, that they are not going after as a priority, so it is it hasn't been a priority for the past you know 10 15 years, and I think that that in and of itself it frames the umbrella of, you know under which you are now invoking policy, right? Because if you are already at the temperament of treating cannabis businesses like other businesses, you're not treating these people as criminals to begin with as your starting point. I feel like you're already in a better position or a heightened position. Um, to have that level of sensitivity of what you're dealing with so i think in that in that you know way oakland has had an advantage because they've had an existing cannabis uh, uh, uh industry with the brick and mortars right the eight license that being said um there are challenges and one of the one of the largest uh challenges right now uh, or one of the most divisive pieces uh has been this piece in the legislation which has been um uh, again nothing has been uh, finalized but the equity portion of it, right? These are This is referred to as the equity permit holders, the equity applications, or the, where the intention is the carving out of, um, of trying to undo some of the damage that has been done because of the war on drugs, right? So we're trying to ensure that these business owners are representative of not only the communities uh, as a whole, but of, of those who have been jailed, uh, to, to be frank. So that, it, it, it's hard, right? Because one of the biggest challenges it, even I already said it has been a benefit. One of the business challenges actually is the fact that there is an existing infrastructure. There are businesses doing doing business that have licenses that are paying taxes as you know as the Z category, which they've had for a long time. So there's you know there's existing businesses. There are new businesses coming in. There's the equity piece. You know it's such a diverse city that you're trying to uh, work with and appease a lot of different stakeholders. And so I think that is why local involvement has been so important and why this has been such an effective. The grassroots movement, if you, you know to use that word, uh, and why it has started bottom up because we are dealing with ex- an existing infrastructure and existing businesses and people um, who are working, and there are a lot of jobs at stake. There, are, I mean. Starting a grow, you're talking about electricians, you're talking about you know all kinds of opportunities from the ancillary services that are not just specifically touching the plant, but your lawyers, your you know everything else that has to do with the industry. so there's just a lot of stakeholders, a lot of pieces and a lot of voices which they are trying to compile and, and hopefully come up with something here in the spring.
0: and city council is pretty much like I don't know on board or they're really looking taking a look at what's coming down yeah
6: oakland does have its own medical cannabis commission meets monthly and so they are providing recommendations specifically to the council i think that's also very critical having you know a separate board that is specifically looking at the industry in and of itself that has been critical
0: okay i'm gonna i'm gonna call you jay if that's all right please and what my mom
3: did so you're good so
0: what does sacramento have in mind or in store um now that prop 64 has passed taking a look at what's happening elsewhere in california
3: so we, we're, we have our goals. We wanna talk about uh, public health and safety. Uh, what do we need to do to make sure that our neighborhoods are safe? We wanna talk about economic development and potential job growth. Uh, and we wanna talk about tax revenues for the city. So we're trying to look at it from those three angles. Uh, to get this right, we have two strands of work going on. The first is the policy or the ordinances. What do we need to do uh, to make sure that this is done well? And some of these things we'll have to wait for the state for next year, but we're moving forward on that, and I'll come back to detail. The other is building an infrastructure within the city. Um, It takes a lot of people to process applications, and what do we need as far as police and code and all of that? Um, So on the public health and safety, what we're looking at right now is, again, how many cops do we need on the street if we, as we do our cultivation ordinance? Uh, We know right now we have about 400 illegal grows in the city, and a lot of them are causing problems for neighborhoods. We don't want houses uh, to be used for grows in neighborhoods. We want commercial grows that are regulated that have safety precautions. Um, On the job front, we just had a study done by the University of the Pacific that looked at the cannabis industry in the region. It's a six-county region, and looked at the the potential of $4.2 billion in the industry and 20,000 jobs. I don't have any other, we don't have any other industry that's coming to Sacramento that's gonna create 20,000 jobs. And on the tax revenues, uh, I think personally, if we are looking at dispensaries, cultivation, delivery, distribution, and testing, among other things, uh, we're probably in the 18 to $20 million a year range if we do this right. That's kind of a back of the napkin, so don't quote me on that, where's the B? But that's my thinking on what we can do. But it will require a lot of work and a lot of infrastructure to make that happen. So we are trying to be thoughtful about this. We're working through it one piece at a time. Uh, We've had our dispensary ordinance for a long time. We have 30 dispensaries that are up and running that are doing well. We have a great industry in Sacramento that's very cooperative. Uh, Our tax revenues off the dispensaries this year will be about $4.6 million. We've just finished the cultivation ordinance, so that will go into effect pretty soon. We're looking at April 1st for applications to be ready to go out. Uh, Those will be first come, first serve, and I'm assuming we'll have, uh, we've had 200 growers put uh, their names on a registry that they were already doing it. After that, we're looking at manufacturing and distribution, that's our next step. Uh, And then we'll get into delivery and also non-brick-and-mortar dispensaries for delivery services. So we're trying to go at it one piece at a time. Um, You know, for the city council, it's really about balancing the needs of the neighborhood versus the needs of the industry and the potential that we can, um, the potential opportunities that come out of this for the city. That's not always an easy thing. We don't have a unanimous council on this, and some of our discussions, for those of you who have attended them, have been pretty brutal. Um, but we're continuing to move forward. And for for most of us on the city, just looking at the revenue part, there's, to do what we need to do in the city for Sacramento to continue to grow, there's no other source of new revenues. Um, so this is something that we're looking at really seriously. How do we do it? And again, if we're gonna do it, how do we do it right to make sure that all parties can be successful?
0: So Hezekiah saved you for last. Because I saw an article before the election that you were not on board with 64, Prop 64, and you weren't gonna vote for it. And I think I went to a panel where the California Growers Association was kind of split on that. So I wanted to ask why. And now that it has passed, whether that has changed or, you know, okay, it's passed, going forward, what are the growers gonna do or sure. be prepared?
1: Um, you know, the second half of the question is the easy one. It passed, the voters decided. to get to work let's make it happen just like laurie said we're gonna get this done on time she wasn't lying she takes help from anywhere and we're firmly focused on the goal of full implementation the more complicated question of why because i understand specifically the unique opportunities and benefits that our current cannabis marketplace is providing to the state of california and because i read the initiative and frankly the initiative itself is more about making marijuana millionaires and it's less concerned with cannabis households paying their bills. I don't actually think millionaires are good for society. I think small businesses are. I think local jobs are. I think you and I need to have the opportunity to emerge into this industry and own our businesses, to own our future. I really think that economic localization and economic decentralization are much larger themes. When we talk about climate change, Decentralized agriculture. That's how we're gonna get there. When we talk about restoring vibrant urban communities, it's local boutique retailers. Those are the businesses that are gonna get there. The MCRSA, the Medical Cannabis Regulatory and Safety Act, passed by the legislature in 2015, was the perfect model for how to move forward in California. It segmented the marketplace. You were either a grower, a manufacturer, a retailer, a distributor. The net benefit of that is there are more businesses, there are more jobs, there are more opportunities. Prop 64 prefers a consolidated conglomerate model. From an industry regulatory perspective, Prop 64 is better for making folks rich. It's not good at helping us feed our families. That said, let's acknowledge the truth. Folks are out of jail. Folks' charges were dropped. Folks are no longer being treated as criminals. We are no longer second class and marginal. And so from our perspective, this was some steps forward, some steps backward. We didn't feel the urgency. We recognized that we could try again in two years after we had the medical system regulated. And secondly, frankly, I think the legislature could have done this. You wanna know the one firm conclusion that's been drawn in all of the legal states so far? We wish we would have done this in the legislature. You know why? Because the legislature is thoughtful. It's deliberative. There's committees. We talk about things. We challenge each other. We argue with each other in a civil respectful way. We challenge each other's assumptions. Did you know that there is a tax in Prop 64 that will serve as an absolute barrier of entry for 75% of growers currently operating if not changed? No, because you didn't read it. Do I think you made the wrong decision? Absolutely not. Adult use cannabis should be legal. But there were 62 pages of code. There was a lot there. So why did I not support it? Because I know the impact it will have on our communities and I read it.
0: I wanna take a a hands up poll um, to see how many of you in the audience are in the business or want to be in the business. Okay, so a quarter. I guess maybe a third of the group. How many Let's here? just
5: assume half of them didn't raise their hands.
0: Well, I, because I want to ask, <laughs> how many of you are here just as residents and you know, okay, you voted for Prop Fix 64, you didn't, and you want to know, hey, just want to know more about it, but you're, you know, you're not, okay. All right, and then the rest of you are somewhere else. Okay, I was just curious, because, <laughs> because I, did have a, I did have a question about how I'm curious about how much the marijuana industry is going to affect me as a resident in terms of the economic impact. Um, and this really hit me because uh, my day job is I'm a, I'm a business journalist. I'm a freelance business journalist. And I got an email from this magazine called Marijuana Venture that's up in Washington. And they, once Prop 64 passed, they need a California correspondent. And they like, hey. So I thought, well, <laughs> I don't really know much, but you know, send me an issue or two of the magazine. They're print only; I think they're not um, online. But it was a thick, a thick ass magazine with a lot of ads and a lot of high tech equipment. I mean, I I had no idea. So I got the sense, like, wow, this is a big industry. Um, and then I saw an article that I posted on the on the Groundbreakers page about the luxury, uh, in the luxury market getting into marijuana like Louis Vuitton and Prada. I, I think they have $12 rolling papers and they have a $65 pipe and there's a $710 ounce um, strain of marijuana at this Beverly Hills Cannabis Club. So I get the sense that there's something here. So I was just c- curious from, from what you're all seeing, um, is this going to be gangbusters or is it... Um, We have to wait and see and what is there out there that makes you see this as the next gold rush or You know, maybe a bust or nothing new. I was just wanted to see from all the panelists Hezekiah
1: You know the gold rush wasn't good for California We're still picking up the mess of what happens when you put riches and profit ahead of every other consideration Dear God, let this not be the next gold rush. Let's let this be a sustainable market. Let's not do that again. Is there a lot of profit to be made? Absolutely, but guess what? It's already being made. 350,000 living wage jobs, currently, right now, today. There's not new jobs. This isn't new opportunities. We are and have been the global leader in this industry for three generations. Let's be honest. So what? The law's caught up. Let's not subject our state to another gold rush. And this ties into exactly why, you know, we weren't there on Prop 64. This isn't about getting rich quick. This is about stabilizing regional economies. It's about creating good, sustainable, local economies. And frankly, it's about putting folks just like us to work. And any millionaires, billionaires in the room, you don't have to raise your hand if you are, but like, just saying. This is about us, not a gold rush.
2: I I will say that California became a state because of the gold rush a whole lot sooner than it would have if there weren't gold here. It's not a comment on Hezekiah's answer, but that's, it's in a, there was one good thing is that we're a state, so. Sure. Yeah. Jay.
3: So I, I think from my point of view, kind of on the political scene, a lot of folks in the industry are very new to politics. And I don't know how it is in Oakland, I assume somewhat the same. Um, There's a progression that's going on of folks who are learning about the power that they have, both because of uh, campaign contributions, because of the jobs that they can bring to neighborhoods, because of who they are. Um, Right now, I think what's happening is politicians are just asking for money and not getting a whole lot from it, and I'm just talking at the local level here. But I think as the industry matures, uh, they're gonna have a lot of influence. Because there is a lot of money in the industry, and so my hope is, and what I've seen thus far in the work I'm trying to do around youth, the industry has been great to me on that and trying to help. And if we can continue that trend, I think that there's they can make a real difference in the political scene uh, locally around California.
6: And Andrea, did you want to? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. I do think that there is that opportunity. You know, I started my business three years ago. As a mother, I'm a mother of three. I've got two toddlers in daycare. My daycare was more than my mortgage. It was $2,800 a month to send them to school. I had to decide, do I want to be a professional? I've got an MBA from a top 10 university. I don't even use it because I have to take care of my kids because it's so damn expensive to live in the Bay Area. So that for me was the- You you can move to
3: Sacramento. (laughs)
7: Anytime. That
6: is true. Who says it? Yes,
7: come on in. (laughs)
6: Let's see what happens with licensing. I might I might have to make that move. Um, but no, I mean, just real talk. I mean, this was because it was an opportunity for someone, you know, just a mother to open up my own business, not because I was chasing millions and millions. It was because my father, who was a sharecropper in, in South Carolina, who picked cotton and was pulled out of school at 14, is now my business partner and owns a piece of a corporation. This has nothing to do with, oh, I'm gonna get rich and you know, I've gotta drive the latest fancy whatever. This is that my dad was a security security guard working 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. and I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't watch him do that. And so when I started a business, it was to do local hiring. It was to pay my bills. And so yes, there will always be, you know, it's a capitalist country. Hey, we're going to have, you know, branded one of the largest uh, bills that I have is actually to my trademark attorney, because that's actually a bigger concern to me than actual, some of my other, you know, security risks of being a cannabis business. It's my damn trademark and my patent. So you know, the the, cap, the capitalization of it, or, or the, the intersection of capitalism and this industry in a lot of it's it's one of the scariest pieces to me, the, the culture being kind of stripped for this, you know, what's, what's the fanciest brand that I can get. Um, but it's a part of doing business, and if you do sign up to be a part of that business, it's something that you'll have to, to deal with. And, you know, being at the, having the opportunity to kind of follow your heart and lead your small boutique, whatever it is, your edible, your whatever it has, it has a story, and that piece can't be taken away. So that's that's what I would say, you know, that we're hoping, hoping to just uh, to have as a company and, and have survive. And as
0: head of the California Cannabis Industry Association, I'm curious what your members, you know, have they have you skyrocketed membership? Have their revenue skyrocketed? I mean, what are you seeing in the industry?
5: Um, Honestly, when it comes to that, a a whole lot of nothing has changed. Um, The reality is this: um, that new rush, the, the the green rush. I mean, I think it's definitely going to happen. If you look at just human nature as a whole. If you look at the most recent rush we had, or one of the most recent, you know, the the um, 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 the um, um, internet boom of the late 90s, you know, we saw. Oh, is that better? There we go. All right, when it comes to the green rush, I think, I mean, you're definitely going to see a lot of people throw a lot of, mo- a, a lot of money into this. I think you're going to see a lot of people lose a lot of money into this. If you look at the, uh, the um, um, internet boom of the late 80s, late 90s, early 2000s, we saw the same thing. You saw a huge bubble. You saw, you know, you saw eggs to your door.com pop up. I mean, everything popped up and eventually the, the economy, nature took its toll and It popped. So I think you're gonna see a certain element of that. The only difference here is things like it's still federally against the law and you can go to jail for it. So things like that on the federal level will keep the risk profile up high enough that you're not hopefully gonna see large multinational corporations jump into this anytime soon. But with that said, our members as a whole, you know, our members have grown. I mean, we um, the last year alone, we've grown 150% um, but it's, uh, most of our members are actually staying on in the medical game right now. They're not rushing in, in, into the retail market just because of the unknowns. There's not a lot of regulations there yet, yet. Most of the local governments have only licensed medical. So we're still looking. I mean, most of the conversations do surround medical rules, medical laws. And we're looking to the future for you know, maybe in the next year or two when we transfer into that. But as a whole, um, it's it's we're still moving forward at the same rate we were moving before, which is working with the state, working with the regulators on helping them write the the medical rules. Then once that changes, we will we will transition in, into the into the retail adult use mindset. But as of now, everything's still full speed ahead for the uh, medical side.
0: I'm going to ask a couple more questions and then I'm going to open up the mic to the uh, audience so you can start asking questions for about half an hour or so. I have to be mindful it's trivia night at Roster around eight ish so um again, the mic is right here. You can line up. I just want to say uh be su- succinct I guess quick questions if you have a two part question definitely succinct just if you have a lot of questions and there's plenty that I have at least uh just want to get as many people asking as possible um, so one of the questions I had to ask, I guess for Lori and um And then whoever wants to ask us about where the revenues are going to go for taxation. Um, You know, the lottery goes to the schools. Um, For the city, you know, you want to have everyone benefit. So where are the revenues from both um, medical and then uh, down the road um, recreational marijuana going to go to?
4: So currently, in the medical portion of it, the only uh, taxation is at the sales and use tax, which the Board of Equalization collects, um, and they are responsible for that. Um, under uh, Proposition 64, uh, there is pages of where the tax revenue goes to. It goes. Uh, all sorts of programs, and if you haven't looked at it, I couldn't possibly list. Maybe uh, Hezekiah or, or Nate could list them all, but it is dozens of, of places where the money is gonna go. Uh, as for how the state regulators, so I, we, we are going to be uh, paid for by the licensing fees, so we can only ch- uh, establish our licensing fees to take care of our administrative costs, so that's where we will get our, our funding uh, going forward.
0: And then on a, on a um, city level, has that been discussed, where the money will go?
3: Well, not really. Um, our, uh, the, the money out of the dispensaries just goes into our general fund. Um, the money that comes from taxes as we go forward will also go into the general fund. What I think it does allow us to do is we have a very tight budget. It will be some additional... Uh, money without restrictions and there will probably be a little bit of a fight at the council of where to spend it. A lot of it frankly will go to the PERS increases um, because that's what's happening in municipalities. It's going to cost us $10 million a year more within five years for, versus our, PERS, pensions. for our pensions um, because of the economy on that. Um, my hope is that we can put a significant portion into youth and youth education.
0: Uh, Another question, you know, and I was saying how my friends and I were sitting around talking about, you know, can you buy it, sell it, use it, whenever, I think it was also a lot of questions, and it came on the Facebook page, too, Uh, driving while under the influence, can I be tested, Uh, uh, can my uh, employer still test me? So I guess the whole law enforcement deal is a big question mark, although I thought it was interesting, the Pew Research Center came out today, I saw an article how they pulled or they surveyed 8,000 police officers nationwide, and two-thirds of them said, you know, it. They th- think it should be fine with um, for medical and legal. Um, and then 30% said no. So, and also broke down into younger cops were like, yeah, and older were still resistant. So, I think. Um, uh, sorry, Nate, you were well as a former law enforcement officer, and I guess you still. Work with them and talk with them. What's the take? And also, I think with yes, Prop. Yes, they
5: still talk to me.
0: They still talk to you. That's a good sign. And it, it
5: only took them a couple of years, but they came around.
0: <laughs> That's good. And then in Prop sixty-four, is there money set aside to uh, for law enforcement resources? There's something set aside for that. Yeah, what does that um, mean?
5: To, to give you the quick thirty thousand foot view, it goes to three main places. Environment, children, and law enforcement. Um, Those are the three main places where the grants will go towards. Specifically, what it does is it puts about three million dollars a year into CHP to help them develop impairment um, to help them study the issues of of driving while impaired, to help them better recognize somebody who is impaired. Because the reality is, is um, because this is one of the most the parts I'm excited about the most was I was worried we were going to try and they were going to try to force another magic number on us. Um, like in other states, where you're, you're a 0.05, you're a 0.04, um, for how much THC you can have active THC you can have in your blood, and the reality is, is there's just there's no science behind that. It's not like alcohol it affects us completely, com- 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 completely different. And so we were able to make sure um, that instead of creating the magic number, what we're doing is funding research so law enforcement officers can be better trained to recognize what somebody looks like impaired on cannabis. Because the reality is, is, sure, I mean, most people who use on a regular basis feel normal. But for the average person um, that might have half a joint, it's not normal for them and they will be impaired. And so it's good for people to, be, to, to know that as a whole. And it's better for law enforcement officers to be able to be better educated. So that, 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 they get about three and a half million bucks a year to go to, to research um, driving while impaired.
0: So who will ultimately determine that, said one audience member?
5: Determine, determine what?
0: I guess where?
5: That comes down to a jury. Um, on, it's, there's, no, there's not As of right now, there's no ma- magic number. So what it's going to come down to is the officer will get on the stand, say why he felt the person was impaired. They'll show any video evidence they have. They'll go over any, 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 any recorded data and allow the jury or the judge to determine, you know, based off the evidence presented, if that person was actually impaired. But as of right now, there is no magic number that is going to let just going to have a blanket statement where everyone's the same level of impaired with you know the 0.05 THC in their system. Thank
0: you. All right. So speaking of audience questions, let's start with the first one up at the mic.
6: So um, Hezekiah, you said something earlier that struck me because it spoke to one of the issues that I um, read about from Colorado, and you said specifically about. Um, adult, adult usage. So like adult usage has been legalized, but obviously for youth it has not. And one of the side effects that I read about in terms of from what Colorado experienced is that youth, um, uh, arrests for youth that were white went down 8%, but arrests for youth that were black went up by 58%, and for Latinos it went up by 29%. And so that was one of the unfortunate realities. So I'm curious, like Jay, you obviously want to help youth, and you know, Lori and Nate. So what are the ways that California is hopefully going to try to avoid that particular reality that Colorado experienced?
0: Who wants to start? Okay, Andrea.
6: I I actually would like to take that because I have an 18-year-old son who is going to college. Uh, I won't say whether or not I believe he's ever used cannabis in his life or ever will. Hey, you know. Um so our transitional youth right 18 19 20 years old they're going to college they have got enough on their plates and now we have adult use marijuana act which does not do anything for them so again i think this speaks to the imperative nature of protecting prop 215 and having a medicinal card um, to the extent that perhaps even community college you know you could you probably be free or if if not included right away i mean because it's, it's in combination with the other elements, right? Being given a fine if you are, it's public consumption, all those other things that can sound okay on paper, but when you look a certain way or a certain, yeah, exactly, I don't have to finish the sentence. So, you know, what am I gonna get pulled over for? X, Y, Z, and then, you know, the paperwork looks great, but why was I arrested in the first place? Or, you know, what was the probable cause? All those things, so, yeah, definitely an issue. Nate.
5: Um, just real quick, I'll speak from layman's terms. Um, My, um, this I've had some conversations with the attorneys that that, uh, the attorneys that worked on this, but they actually intended. They actually looked at the data in Colorado when drafting that, and added in extra exemptions, which they're actually criticized for, to make sure that the sections they were using in other states to go after kids, they couldn't do it in this state. And so there were slight exemptions, slight changes made. I don't have the. I'm not. um, I'm not as apt on the social justice aspect of things. I know of Glenn. Am I, am I okay on this? Am I, uh, Glenn's from the Drug Policy Alliance, so they helped work on this. So yeah, I'm, I'm going down the right path. So basically, there was steps taken to make it different than in other states where cops still had certain laws to use to go after youth.
1: Hezekiah. Yeah, you know, one of our main concerns here is given the generational, robust nature of the cannabis community and marketplace here in California, um, the less people that are included under the umbrella, the more people are left out. And so this idea of the perverse arrest rates where we actually see increased arrests in vulnerable communities, certainly the transitional uh, youth communities, we actually tend to agree. Bit of a better job. There were some lessons learned, you know, where it's it's better. There's a lot more rehabilitation, education. It's really hard to actually end up in the criminal system if you're an 18 to 21 year old user, and even if you're a minor below 18. Um, the business community, though, that's where we're most concerned. If 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 the market is gobbled up by a few, we've got tens of thousands of business owners that pretty quickly end up right back in the same grinding system of criminal justice, and so you know. We are deeply concerned that there may be perverse increased arrest rates in five to seven years if we don't do something to ensure everyone can get into the marketplace, because we've got a lot of folks currently employed or operating in this marketplace. And so that's a community we're very concerned with. Next question. Good evening. My name is Tanner Kelly. First, thank you all for being here and taking the time. My question is, what do you envision is the major challenge ahead now that marijuana for recreational purposes has been legalized? And what can we as an audience and a group of concerned citizens do to get involved and help solve those challenges? And I'd love to hear from our Bureau Chief, Ms. Ajax, and our city council member as well, um, and whoever else wants to get in on that, uh, if time permits. Thank you.
4: Lori, would you like to start? Sure. I, I think I, I I alluded to it earlier, the timeline, obviously. January 1st, 2018, less than one year to implement both medical and recreational. And uh, I think one of the things that I wanted to say is while we go through drafting the regulations as a state and as one of the three licensing authorities, it's really important that... We make sure that everybody has access to apply for a license, that our regulations aren't so overburdensome that we're going to discourage people from being regulated. So we need to have that balance, and that's where everybody here, when you read our proposed regulations, uh, we do need you to read them. We need you to respond to us. Give us your public comment because that's going to be the the best thing that we can learn from. We want to learn from you. You may say, "Hey, state, uh, that doesn't make sense that you're doing that. This is how we do business, or this is what's happening." So you really, I really encourage you to get on our website. Give us uh, give us your email address so you can get those updates. And when we propose our regulations, you'll get a you'll be able to read them and then uh, give us your public comment.
8: Nate
5: real quick, um, on the aspect of how you can get involved on the local level, um, it's key right now because there's still a lot of work to be done at the state level, but the MCRSA, and the reality is, is if you want a license in this state, you're gonna have to have local approval I mean one way or another and so getting involved at the low at the local level now showing up at your local council meetings going online looking for groups working in your area when I first got into this I just fresh out of law enforcement all I did was Google search medical marijuana activism and I just Sacramento and cross reference my cross-reference my town cross referenced cross-reference the state start getting involved look who's active in your area if you want an ordinance in your town cuz you're a patient and, and and they don't have one and there's no one working on it there's no one nothing that stops you from calling your local council member and letting them know that you're int- you're your 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 interested in this and then when other people find out that they're working on it in your town trust me others will come but get involved locally now in your local groups and if you're not in a local there's no local group start a local group
3: so I think two issues for us one is certainly around capacity Um, the industry is a lot larger than the government bureaucracy to handle it we could have 200 300 applications when we open it up for cultivation we just don't have the person power to deal with that and it's going to take longer than I would hope. So one is internally building capacity of people who understand what we're doing and understand the industry. Um, I think the other thing is education. Um, there's a lot of fear out there and there's a lot of fear in neighborhoods. And, and Nate's right. I think that um, you know, there's nothing that influences a member of the city council more than seeing 300 people in the council chambers yelling at them. You know, I mean... Uh, uh, so Gabriel? Oh, sorry. <laughs> been there, done that. but.
5: Um, but I. I, think- I don't encourage that. By the way, <laughs> I'm just going to say, as someone who likes to get stuff done, yelling at lawmakers at hearing doesn't necessarily always work. I but just it, wanted it, to put that disclaimer that, out there. But
3: but my point is, um, a lot of people are going to show up when we did our cultivation ordinance. We had one council member who was against it who turned out uh, lots and lots of people from his community who don't really understand the impacts. I mean, we know, for example, around dispensaries less calls for service from the police than in the neighborhoods in which they reside. Uh, That's a UCLA study in Sacramento that came out. So I think it's, it's helping to educate people about what this really is, about the safety factors involved
2: and what we can do.
0: Gabriel, you wanted to add something?
2: Yeah, I'll give it quick. This to me is like a major issue on the commercial side, but come 2018, there's going to be a track and trace program, and every single lot of marijuana in this state needs to be tested and passed testing standards. And to my knowledge, there isn't a single city that has an active testing permit out there yet. So there's 11 months to get a local permit before you can get your type 8, and nobody's acted on it, and yet we've got all of this pot that we got to test very quickly. And so I see massive backlogs at the testing uh, labs, but that's that's a commercial issue and less on the, the individual so side. Is
0: there a need for jobs in terms of testing? Yeah, or? if you've
2: got a science background, testing stuff, okay. hey, start one. Change careers. <laughs> um, I'll just say this:
1: Hey, citizen lawmakers, you guys did great. We've had the grassroots movement. You guys did the policy. You voted. We don't necessarily need everybody engaged in the policy work, in my humble opinion. What we do need, we need informed consumers. Don't buy greenhouse gas emission, not dirty, dirty pesticide weed. Don't do it. Buy clean organic weed. Help us out. We also need cultural reform. We need to not feel second class because we smoke a joint. The same way we don't feel second class because we drink a glass of wine. The policy work is complicated. There's a lot to it. You know my opinion on Prop 64. I think it would have been better if we would have let the professional policymakers handle that. It is what it is. Thank you. The grassroots movement rose. California, we won. Now let's change our consumer behaviors, let's change our culture. And that's what we can really do to get involved. We can talk positively every day about cannabis.
0: And So I'm gonna ask one question before the next one about how do you know the difference um, between organic and and greenhouse gas fuel? And I also, tying into that, So someone bought me my first pot cookie because I was having sleeping issues. And I asked people at a Christmas party, well, yeah, what do I, do I eat it? No, take 1 16th, you know, have sativa, have this. I'm like, whoa, I mean, you can't tell that from the packaging. So I'm wondering as a consumer, if I take one cookie compared to another, like how is that going to be handled? Is this a succinct answer or like what's, yeah.
1: As Nate mentioned, we've got pretty robust labeling and packaging standards that will be coming forward. And so California will have some of the most informed consumers if consumers take the time to inform themselves, absolutely. And so how do you know right now? Um, Well, you know, you talked about brands a little bit ago. Three years ago, there were maybe five to 10 farm brands. We're tracking over 800 emerging farm brands right now. Brand recognition, relationships to your producer. How do you know your food is good? You go to the farmer's market or you go to the CSA. You know your producer. You know that it's clean. You get to know them. This is about restoring human interactions to commerce. Cannabis is an emerging opportunity to not only rethink our products that we smoke or eat, it's also a way to rethink how supply chains work. And so, know your farmer.
0: You go to the brewery, exactly. Or go to a brewery. Okay. Okay. Next question.
7: Yeah. My name is Connor Olson, and thank you, Vanessa, for putting this panel together. Um, and I'm glad to see Jay here. You're enthusiastic. Um, as a local Sacramento resident, that I'm, I'm glad to see that. Chronic is named Chronic. We're the city of trees, so I think it's a little fortuitous there, too. Um, you guys kind of touched on this. I get a lot of questions from my clients about branding and trademarks, and right now, you know, state law is basically the same as, it says federal law, and it's illegal under federal law, so we can't do that, so what is, um, what's on the the horizon, or what efforts are being made to sort of reform that and make it sort of? Other states are already on board with it, and California's just kind of lagging. Thank you.
6: And are you talking in terms of? I mean, branding like, and trademarking, yeah. or the, the
7: trademarking, trademarking or? is sort Trademark. of yeah, trademarking. It, it, what's on the horizon as far as reforming that? Because everyone's coming to me, and it's sort of it's state law versus you know, there's um, yeah, law. there's
5: there's some and I, and once again, I'm going to go layman's terms. Um, there, there's language right now in a bill in the Capitol called AB, in a bill called a, AB 64. Um, AB 64 is got a lot of of the the uh, language. They're trying to use it as sort of the big uh, uh, the big um, the big I guess cleanup bill. And so AB 64 has language in it which basically directs the the, the Secretary of State's office to ignore federal law and to issue California uh, Ca- California <laughs> trademarks. This was done at his, At not to speak for him, but after about a couple years of lobbying, he finally un- finally understands the issue and is now coming around and, and has been uh, work, working with us. So hopefully if the language gets passed, we'll at least be able to get uh, 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 the industry will be able to get <laughs> trademarks that will be recognized in uh, this state.
0: Gabriel.
2: Yeah, I will add that you can get a trademark if the use itself is not for an offensive purpose. So if you're trying to trademark a particular strain of flour or something like that, the, the, the federal USPTO is going to say that's an offensive use. But just having a pot leaf on a, tertiary, a, a t-shirt you know, or apparel company, that in and of itself doesn't preclude you from getting the mark. We've also seen some... And I'm not a trademark attorney, so I don't know how successful this has been, but I've seen... Uh, particular company that wanted to have, say, in, you know, cannabis-infused cola. So they're getting a trademark on cola with no cannabis in it, so they can attach it to a non-offensive use and have such a strong enough case that they've got cola and this trademark that when they eventually do introduce and sell cannabis-infused cola, they can make that connection even without the direct trademark there. So that's that's one idea I've seen. I thought it was really novel. I don't know how successful it's been.
0: Okay, hey, next question. Wait, can you come up to the mic for the podcast purposes?
7: Have you dealt with state common law trademarks?
2: Well, there's the there is actually a, a whole state trademark law, but in California, they basically defer to USPTO rules, so because of the offensive use of you know trying to trademark marijuana products you get the same result so you know i don't know without it federal law changing i don't think the USPTO stance will change but there could be potential for state lawmakers to say you know we, we want to actually you know break off from the USPTO and come up with our own standards for state trademarks which then you could enforce within the state even if you couldn't enforce it nationally
1: okay. If I could just mention briefly that both Prop 64 and the MCRSA also contain provisions relating to geographies. For example, Mendocino County. You can't launch a brand that produces a product in San Diego and call it Mendocino. Very similar to the Appalachians that are recognized in wine. They also create the opportunity. Unfortunately, here they diverge a little bit. The MCRSA has the Department of Food and Agriculture establishing a more detailed petition process through which standards and other marketing tools can be recognized. Prop 64 puts that on. On, on Laurie's plate, and so I think there will be some cleanup there. But ultimately, there are provisions related to protecting geographies and uniquely recognized standards or cultures that licensees will be able to petition for protection and recognition. And so it's not exactly a trademark, or but it is a legally defensible designation that the marketplace will, I think, benefit from greatly.
0: Is is Humble um, and Mendocino doing something along those lines, where there are? Kind of like Napa Napa County, of like they have certain strains or appellations. So
1: I represent growers in 51 counties, and every single county in California grows the best cannabis. If I say anything other than that, my board will string me out to dry. And so the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, California grows the best cannabis. And and absolutely, California does have currently a, a website on the county website dedicated to source of origin and they've launched a pilot program. You can track that product back to the county, to the neighborhood, to the watershed, and ultimately to the grower. To the question of how do you know, it's gonna be traceable. Every drop, gram, whatever it is, is traceable back to the farmer and the plant. And that knowledge, that's up to you consumers. That's what we need.
0: What was that website?
1: Uh, goodness, I forget. It's Humboldt.gov something or other. We'll, um, I'll track we'll it down it and will put it on the it, website. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll
0: have a, <laughs> a list of resources on the website after the event's over. So next question.
9: Hi. Um, I'm Arianna Van Alstein. Thank you all for being here. Um, oh, sorry.
0: Lower it a little bit. Just a little bit.
9: I'm not as tall as the others. Sorry. <laughs> um, I have two questions, both for Lori Ajax. Um, and one is more general and one is more specific, and I understand if you can't yet answer either of them. Um, my more general question is, um, I've I've read some things about um, the regulations being more similar to alcohol regulations, and also being more similar to cigarette regulations. And what um, what do you foresee that are going to be um, different or different challenges in, oh, sorry, in cannabis regulation than with alcohol regulation? And the second more specific question is about um, specific challenges with um, the, the licenses for retail operations to be only for cannabis and not be able to sell tobacco or alcohol.
4: So for your first question, uh, I will say alcohol is a very different product than cannabis. So I will say that uh, I've learned that over the last 10 months. It's nothing like alcohol. So you know, really, uh, we really haven't looked. St- you know, there's a, there's a few things we've we've looked at some of the ABC regulations, but for the most part, for developing our regulations, uh, you know, we've we've talked to the industry itself, we've talked to local government, law enforcement, and other states. That's really where we've we've really done a lot of our research and education on how we think. It'll be to regulate this product. You know, one thing a lot of people compare the distribution system with alcohol to cannabis. A very different system. You, it is mandatory testing. Testing the distributor is the quality control agent. They're the ones that make sure it gets to testing. Then they make sure uh, that 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 product is safe before it goes on to the retailer. As for the specific challenges, you're talking about dispensaries. You know, I think uh, probably, and this is gonna apply to all license types, is just uh, working with the locals right now. Uh, that is a, a huge challenge with over 500 different jurisdiction. And they all, depending on the ones that do have robust systems and are regulating cannabis, you know, there's a lot of different regulations. So there's the local control issue. So the state is being mindful that there is local control. We're coming in with the baseline of regulations. The local Locals can be more restrictive so I think it's just all of us finding that balance because like I said earlier we're trying to get people to come into the regulated market these are folks that have been operating for the last two decades with no state oversight so we're trying to get them in the regulated market so it's really important that even for all of our license types that we're really finding that balance, that we're still ensuring public safety, patient safety, environmental safety, but we're encouraging people to, to come into the regulated market. Thank
0: you. So I, I want to be mindful of panelists' time, because I did say a hard stop of 74, 745 at 746, so I want to ask if it's okay with everyone for a few, like 10 more minutes of questions, or if anyone has to head out. Okay. So I'm trying to get to everybody in line, but... We'll have to do a hard stop at like at eight o'clock trivia time. So all right.
10: Well, uh, yeah, thank you panelists for being able to stick around and take more of the audience questions. So mine's just on a federal level question. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be way too tall for everyone else. so uh, obviously dealing with local issues is important, but the biggest problem I see on the federal level is with banks and money and federally insured here, here. organizations. So how are we gonna get uh, around that problem? Because if you have six billion dollars in cash
1: from taxes sitting around, I'm not sure how much good that actually does.
0: Is is um, Hezekiah then... a
1: You know, I would point to the most hopeful development on on this front is State Treasurer John Chung has recently formed the uh, banking working group that is going to be up and down the state over the next nine months and really digging into this question. Last year, the Assembly Banking Committee looked at this, and, you know, at the time, our organization identified that until the industry, the financial sector, and state governments around the West, in particular, but across the nation, work together in coalition, that this would be an insurmountable challenge in Washington D.C. And I and I think the state treasurer is exactly the type of leadership we need to be able to leverage that coalition. Uh, John Chung launched this working group with a letter to the incoming president and the administration. And so I, you know, I, we don't have a solution yet. There's not a lot we can do here at the state. We're looking at ways to treat the symptoms and get the cash out of our homes and off the streets but ultimately this is a federal policy question and it's going to take the cannabis businesses it's going to take state governments and it's going to take the financial sector and we're still doing that relationship building and coalition building so nothing tangible yet but hopefully within the next year the treasury is doing a phenomenal job pulling folks together to talk about it
6: I would also note that the city of Oakland is looking at the um, at the creation of a community bank, which would be uh, geared, I think, towards agriculture generally or broadly. And so then they are trying to piece in cannabis as a part of that because they are a city permitting it. So again, another way at the local level.
1: Briefly on the on the subject of public bank, North Dakota has a public bank that was formed particularly to help farms. Farmers are particularly sensitive to banking and financial challenges in general. We're rural. We operate on year-to-year cash flow cycles. Very, very awkward when you mix the financial and the agricultural world. And so North Dakota has helped ameliorate and mitigate some of these problems through this public banking solution. And so it's something that we've been looking at for some time. California's a big state. It's a challenging state. I don't know that it's the most feasible or practical per se, but Oakland and Santa Rosa are really looking at this solution. I think there is some merit there, and we're certainly monitoring that. Um, and, you know, I know that public banking will cross over into the Treasurer's Working Group as well.
2: Gabriel? Yeah, we... Our firm had a a lunch and learn in early December, and uh, we invited a couple of our banking clients to attend because we wanted them to hear, uh, you know, the update. And many of them have privately expressed an interest in getting into this. These are smaller regional banks. You're not going to get a a large, you know, national bank doing this, but credit unions, small regional banks that might want the revenue um, are interested, but they don't know how. There was a really interesting speaker at the MJ Biz conference in November in Las Vegas. Um, she's from Colorado. Her name is Sundy Seafried, And she opened up a private banking um, wing of a Colorado credit union. And she wrote a book called Navigating Safe Harbor because they named their subsidiary where they carved out banking for cannabis clients only. They created a subsidiary of their credit union. Um, they called it the Safe, Har- Safe Harbor Banking or something like that. And I just finished her book, and it can be done. It takes it takes brave people within the banking industry, and it takes um, the right amount of staff to file all of the suspicious activity reports and get to know each and every one of their accounts. Roll out programs, get your board to approve it. So they're just. It, it can be done in a very limited fashion right now, but there haven't been enough brave souls or the resources at those you know regional banks or credit unions to do it yet. But our hope is we can hold their hand, you know, because they're our client as a banking client. and then we can introduce our cannabis clients to them. They're getting a referral through their legal counsel, and they know this is the way to set this up through a very sort of confidential, and a trusted referral network so
0: so on a federal level since there are uh sessions right now with uh our latest pick for attorney general do you have any take on whether that will change anything for us or maybe not or what nate
5: is is that the general million dollar question yes okay i just want to make sure it was nothing new um
0: it might not
5: be. Uh, no, no, no. I just, how will this affect us? Um, or will it? Well, we, we're, we're not sure yet. The difference is, I mean, besides, you know, I mean, people talk about th- how they survived the Bush years. The reality is, you know, Obama still raided a lot of dispensaries under his watch. You know, it was, it was a few years before the pressure really caused his administration to back down. So the, 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 the difference now is that we have this wonderful woman who um, is the bureau chief of an agency to regulate us. And eight years ago when we were getting raided, the state didn't have our back and the state has our back now. I mean, they instituted an agency, they're issuing us licenses, they've recognized us. She is helping to write those rules. That's the that's the big difference now than 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 we had eight years ago, four years ago, when there was a lot of raids going on. Also, our current Attorney General, who's nominated for 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 this state, for is, Sarah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. He um he's he's very outspoken in his willingness to rep, to defend the will of the voters and to protect us aggressively. And so that's something we've never had. We we we've also n- never actually had before. So we st- might. We might still face some, some backlash, but we have a lot more cards in our back pocket that, that we've never actually had.
1: So I want to go back a little bit further than the Obama administration. If you haven't read about it yet, Google Operation Green Sweep. That's when active duty National Guard troops were deployed to California to fly four Black Hawk helicopters around my eight-year-old home and chase my family around the hills. Um, absolute amazing. And so the reason I go back to 91 is because the last time federal law changed was in 1986. That was the last time the Controlled Substances Act related to cannabis was updated under Reagan's reelection campaign. Nothing's changed. If you watch the confirmation hearing, Sessions was very, very clear. And I applaud this in saying as attorney general, my job is to enforce the law, but the law is what the law is. When it comes to something like a right to choose, great. Enforce the law because the law is on the right side. Unfortunately, cannabis is in one of those unique situations where the law is on the wrong side. And so we do have room for concern. As Nate said, for the first time ever, the California cannabis industry and the California state government are on the same side. But it goes deeper than that. The MCRSA was supported by local gov, by law enforcement, by everybody under the sun. Prop 64 attracted a broad coalition of support. This isn't just the California cannabis industry and the California cannabis or government making an agreement to follow each other's rules and respect each other. This is California agreeing that cannabis is not criminal. So let's hold on to that.
0: Next question.
11: And I apologize now, this is a personal question that affects me and may not affect anyone else. Um, I have a good relationship with the entertainment police. I, own, I am a local business owner. I do own a business in Old Sacramento. Old Sacramento's Sacramento is its own world, own policies. Um, first, I've asked this question to the entertainment police during meetings and it was a good answer and a little bit different, but they wanted, I wanted to know is if you're legal, can, I have an outside patio. If you're legal, can you be outside currently today on my patio and smoke? They told me, no, you can lose your ABC license. But they said, you know what? We don't care about concentrates and so forth, but any flower, you lose your license. And I do have another question.
1: Um. They were correct, but if you come out to the Holiday Inn next Wednesday, Denver just passed Prop 300, the first open consumption, social consumption measure in the nation. The lead drafter and campaign manager for that will be presenting at our membership meeting about how we're gonna approach that at the municipal level in California over the next few years. So currently, probably not the best idea, but we're gonna change that quick.
11: Second question, I've been approached by certain people asking me this question, and I'm interested in doing something. I have a big place, it's a, I want to plug, but it's Graziano, Chicago Deep Dish Pizza and Speakeasy in Old Sacramento, 7,000 square feet. I want to be able to do a vendor event. Not, I don't know if you can sell, if you can, great, but bring in vendors, concentrates, flowers, so forth. Am I allowed to do that currently? I was told by the people who confronted me, oh yeah, there are certain permits you can do, i said, say bring them to me, no one's ever has.
1: It's a little bit less of a no than the last question. I will say this: um, one of our members is a, is a business called the Emerald Exchange. It's a co-op of about 130 growers. They've done events exactly like you're talking about, where the vendors, the manufacturers come in, and you know, it's it's more of a showcasing of microbrew, you know, takeover type of event, a tap takeover. And so it's a little bit less of a yes. I think Lori probably has some insight on this. And frankly, once licenses are involved, our growers might be a little bit less uh, willing to put that on the line because they might be in jeopardy um, it's something we are definitely working on in the state legislature
11: though i, I say that okay and this isn't a question just a comment for vanessa if you guys ever need a meeting place i'm I am man. looking for
0: venues for events so i've
11: got Let's chicago start. deep dish pizza oh. italian a full bar I'll you got you contact part. me i've contact i'll contact you on yeah. facebook as well all
0: right thank you yeah. all right next question
11: i'll try and be quick but um
10: I, First off, I'm all about making sure things are staying local. Um, But I also have a second home up in South Lake Tahoe. And I'm interested in Lori and Jay's perspective on have you had any discussions in terms of what does it mean about this very long by mileage border to our state to the east of us? And what implications that's going to have in terms of maybe interstate and interstate commerce, given that they have also passed similar legislation to Prop 64? Has there been any discussion or thoughts about it yet?
4: Well, being that it's federally illegal, there is no interstate commerce. So until that's addressed at the federal level, that's just not going to happen right now. Um, that's a pro- probably about as succinct as I can be on it. The same thing.
10: Absolutely. And that, I was just thinking, like, we have a very long border with Nevada. Has there been any discussion about policy and regulation? And, and just wondered any thoughts on that. So.
4: Yeah, we we want to make sure in California we're keeping with the federal guidelines of the coal memo and part of that is making sure we have very comprehensive robust regulations that we we are making sure there's no diversion and part of that yeah. So so right now those there are no discussions on that. Yeah, then. I know
10: Colorado struggled with this with some of their states as their neighbors but just wondered. So great. <laughs> and <laughs> actually
4: you. I'm I'm curious about that
0: cuz Nevada just passed uh, is, it as, is it similar to what we passed? Is it different in some way, succinctly? What's the differences? What are the similarities? Or can we just go over to Nevada and do the same things that we can do under Prop 64 in California? Do we know that? What is that? You cannot carry it.
2: Yeah. You can't carry it across the state lines. But so if, you go, if you go to Vegas or Reno now and you're a, an adult... And I don't know that they have commercial places to uh, acquire it yet, So, but somebody can gift it to you or you can find it on the side of the road and it's legal. Okay, uh,
1: um, yes. This is a great opportunity to talk about one of the most challenging things that we're dealing with. California is an export state, let's be real. The DEA knows that we're producing most of the cannabis in the nation. That's a well-established fact. So we're in this really, really weird situation. And this is why we don't need a gold rush. We have to scale back by as much as 75% in order to meet the requirements of the coal memo. And that is exactly what we are asking every one of our members to do. How can you have a gold rush at the same time you're scaling back? You just can't. And so what we need to do, we need to get inside of our state We need to play by the rules and we need to make this as normal as possible so that when the time comes, we can emerge into that bold new world of federal and ultimately global decriminalization.
0: All right, two more questions and then I get to have the final question for you guys.
9: Hi, everyone. So, um, my name is Kimberly Cargyle. and my question is, is, you know, I, I appreciate the diversity in this panel, and I'm really interested to hear your biggest hope and your biggest fear for 2017 regarding the cannabis industry.
0: Who wants to start? Biggest hope and biggest fear. Uh, Hezekiah, Hezekiah you have so many It's so dangerous hopes to give fears. me a
1: microphone. <laughs> um, biggest fear? Business as usual. Biggest fear is we let profit take this from us. We let greed take this from us. Honestly, business as usual is my biggest fear. My biggest hope, a new paradigm. My biggest hope is the same way cannabis has changed our worldview, has changed our brain chemistry, has changed the way we treat each other, that it will change the way we do business and ultimately the way we do politics.
8: Speaking of, now my my question is gonna be a little bit more difficult. Um, we haven't heard a lot, uh, from, from, from Mr. Senior, I, I, love you, man. Anyway, what I want to say is, Senior, how, like, would you describe yourself as liberal or conservative as it comes to cannabis and, or, uh, how did you, no, and how did you reach that conclusion? I have one more question after that and we're all done. <laughs> so, would I describe myself
3: as liberal or conservative or progressive on cannabis? i voted for it to be legalized i think it's the right thing to do i think that we have an industry that's up and operating i want to make sure that the industry is treated fairly Um, and if there are opportunities for the city and the communities that i represent to benefit from it i want to take advantage of that
8: very good thank you my second question i had twofold question at the state level obviously we're facing some i wouldn't say pushback but some different views. How would you see formulating a message that comes across uh, unifying in a uh, way that we all want? Um, That can go to either end, in the middle, anybody who, you know, has expertise towards that.
0: Can you clarify that a little bit?
8: Well, obviously we have what we have, right? But there are some things that are still being negotiated as far as tax setups or as far as certain things. We know that our governor is very stringent, very headstrong. He's not a person who doesn't uh, hear the other side so much. He believes what he believes, right or wrong, but he doesn't change his mind on what he believes. I want to know how do we approach him in a way, or not just him, but the people, his cronies, if you will, in a way that is plausible, in a way that is
1: My experience, the message that's worked, business, the the status quo wasn't working. The status quo was hurting patients and consumers. It was hurting natural resources. It was hurting public safety. It was hurting small business owners, business owners in general. And so the consensus and unity point that I found when I moved down here a couple years ago, Jay, by the way, I love your great city. Glad I moved here, um, but the message that I, I found thought you is, lived in West Side. <laughs> well, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> but, uh, um, it's just water. We're good. we're good. The status quo wasn't working. It's time for change. And so, you know, what we can all agree on is that with cannabis, we need to do it differently than we have. Looking backwards, what those differences look like, I don't think we're going to get there. We all value different things. Some of us value, you know. I don't, I don't honestly think we're going to get there on the specifics, but what we can get there on is that prohibition failed, and it's time for regulation. And that's the message that I think everyone can unify behind. I,
3: I, if I can ask yeah. one, one other thing. So I'm actually past this governor. I do a lot of work at the state level policy-wise in, in my day job, and I think we need to start looking at the candidates for governor in two years yes. and start educating them. Um, Jerry Brown is pretty much done with his tenure, so I think... This is a very powerful industry. It has a lot of resources, and I think getting together and coalescing around, coalescing around a, a specific set of messages and taking that to the candidates as they're moving forward is gonna be very important. So as you get a new governor coming into office, they're in the right place.
8: To, real quick, to be honest, when I formulated the question, I wanted to say towards the governor and whoever may be coming in, but she already said, specify your message, that's fine. Anyway, I think you're exactly right, totally. I think I'm exactly right, too, yeah. so it's
3: okay.
0: <laughs> and I have, I have one last question. It's a quote. Uh, I'm curious. So Dan Conway, who was, for those of you, um, Mayor, John, Mayor Kevin Johnson's former chief of staff who left before the mayor's term to go start Truth Enterprises, which is an um, investment firm, I guess, for a cannabis industry holding company. So he's, 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 he's all gung-ho about the cannabis industry. And he said again in another Reuters article, this region, and I'm assuming he means the Sacramento region, has the ability to be, to cannabis, what Sonoma and Napa are, to wine. And um, I, before I moved back to Sacramento, I lived in Nevada County, which I guess considers itself part of the Emerald Triangle. There A lot of people are freaking out about what Prop 64 is going to do. Are growers going to come out of the shadows and go down to the uh, Central Valley because there's more sun and more land. So I'm just curious about, in terms of building on Camille's question about hopes and fears, what do you see? I'm just curious how the cannabis industry will shape California going forward geographically, um, economically, just some big takeaway, I guess, that you to see for better, for worse, Prop 64 is gonna affect us in one of those ways. Who wants to? Gabriel, why not? We start with you.
2: I actually know Daniel and I'm familiar with that quote. I I disagree with Daniel. I I don't see the the Sacramento region as somehow being a hub for pot tourism. I think to the extent there's pot tourism for California, people are going to still go to San Francisco and los angeles and maybe san diego and for vacation and then that's where they'll consume it i think there could be you know um a statement i mean hezekiah said that he represents you know growers from 51 counties and they all think they have the best so what makes this region think that we're going to be the nap of of cannabis i don't see it that doesn't mean that people can't try and make it happen Uh, i do think of california in general as being the hub, I, I, I think it's an entrenched part of this state's culture, and has been for you know uh, a, a lot longer than a lot of other states. So the state in general, but more specifically this region, I I don't see it, but I hope I'm wrong.
0: Uh, okay,
5: Nate. What you and think? I'll t- tell you why he's wrong. Um, no, <laughs> no, um, um, no, um, no. I don't disagree with that. You know, what does this attract to tourists? You know, you know, we've got a big. Tower Bridge out there, and a, a ship with a big wheel. You know, I mean, there's not a ton of stuff here. Um, I mean, sure, there's the whole art scene. It's become, it's becoming, you know, the, the, the Sacramento vibe is exploding. Um, but the reason this will become a hub, I think, is because of the freeways. Um, just like. At Sonoma County is going to be a hub for like wholesale distribution because of the the way the highways funnel down into it. I think you know, with five coming down from the north, you have the 50 coming in from the side. This will kind of make Sacramento a hub for the more wholesaling, industrial, processing, distribution side of things. So we might not see the the um, the tourist factor go through the air, but on the industrial side of things, I think this will end up being a hub. So I I agree with that, but the quote was very different than that. So
1: So let's be real, Napa, you grow some good wine, but like, who's had a good Carmel wine recently? Who's had a good Santa Barbara wine recently? Who's had a good like? Let's be real, we grow really good wine everywhere, just like we grow really good cannabis. But to answer the question about the geography, little little focused on piece of Prop sixty four that's going to change the world, hemp. Let's talk about the Central Valley, and let's talk about industrial hemp, and let's talk about the things this region could do, growing sustainable fuel, sequestering carbon, building materials, fibers, foods, anything you can do with an almond, you can do with a hemp plant, except a hemp plant is a 90-day irrigation cycle and an almond orchard is a 15-year irrigation cycle. Let's be real, Flatlanders, grow hemp. And guess what? Cannabis comes from the foothills anyway. 2,000 feet of elevation, you get magic up there in the hills. And so, let's be real, California. Flatland, grow some hemp. This region is gonna blow up. The numbers Daniel quoted, way too low. Way more opportunity. The the quote continues with some numbers. This region is gonna blow up. And by the way, Yolo County, Farmy, Sacramento County, Sutter County, Stanislaus County, y'all grow the best cannabis in California. And so does every single other county. So,
0: there might be a trend of pulling out the almond trees and growing hemp. Uh, okay, before we leave, I, there was one, speaking of Daniel Conway, I wanted to put a plug in for an event that's happening tomorrow night that a few of you may know about. Hacker Lab is having an event um, on high tech startups on marijuana cannabis startups and um, Dan Conway is giving the um, keynote, so that starts at 6.30 at Hacker Lab here in Midtown. Uh, I think we're going to have to revisit this in a year because I know there's a lot more. We'll see what happens in January 1st, 2018. Uh, Thank you guys very much for staying put and listening through and see you in the next event. I will put the podcast up in a couple of days, give a list of resources, and thank you guys. It's been a great panel. Thank you. Thank you.